the amount of times I see ads pop up on my Instagram um, for certain supplements from and from some well-known brands um, and well-known athletes endorsing that brand, I can see how easy that is to go, oh, well, that athlete's, you know, a gold medalist or, you know, is an athlete that I aspire to and they're partnered with that brand. So that must be why they're doing well because they take a supplement. Hello and welcome to the Long Munch, the nutrition podcast for runners, cyclists and triathletes. I'm Steph Gaskell. And I'm Alan McCubbin. We are both accredited sports dietitians based in Melbourne and combined have over 30 years experience working with runners, cyclists and triathletes to help them stay healthy and optimise their performance from complete beginners through to professional and Olympic athletes. Each week, we take a deep dive into the most common nutrition questions that runners, cyclists and triathletes ask. It's the stuff you talk about in your training or in your recovery session um, at the coffee table. Uh, And what we aim to do is break it down and invite a guest expert um, or athlete to add their perspective. So today, it's episode 34B, Would I Benefit from Supplements? And we're lucky enough to be joined by the lovely Emma Jeffcoat, um, who is a professional triathlete and proud Australian Tokyo 2020 Olympic triathlete. Emma discusses about her experience and reflections post-Olympics and her plans for Com Games in 2022. She talks about her experience with supplements, how she was first exposed to them, which is super interesting. And as an athlete, how she was educated about them and whether her thinking around supplement has evolved over her lifetime as an athlete. We'll talk about some of the supplements she's trialed over the years and her thought process when deciding on whether to use a supplement or not. We also dig into her traveling experience um, with taking supplements and whether she encountered any problems with that. And finally, some tips for listeners on where to go for good information to learn more about supplements. So that's just a little bit about what we'll get into in today's episode. But right now, I would love to know, how are you going, Alan McCubbin? I'm going all right. Thanks, Steph. It's been uh, another busy week, mainly on the teaching front, but also um, really ramping up the recruitment for that sodium study. And mm. I'm pleased to say I've managed to recruit one uh, shall we say, brave soul to uh, partake in the study, <laughs> uh, a female participant, which is good because we've got lopsided at the moment, more males and females. So we'd love to get some more female participants. Uh, and I'm talking to her right now. You're going to uh, get involved in the study, Steph. I am, Al, and you know what I've been doing. I've already been um, focusing on my training. So you've um, actually, funnily enough, gotten me excited and um, it's good yeah, good motivation to get my butt into gear. Um, I might be slightly swearing at myself when I am out there running, thinking, holy moly, I haven't run um, these distances for a while or this, you know, time duration for a while. But, um, yeah, I know I can do it. So, yeah, thank you for, I know, getting my butt into gear, I guess. Yep, bit of motivation. And I have to do it twice, is that right? Yep. Or... Oh. <laughs> yep i'm in i'm in yeah, I, yeah, yeah. um i'm ready so book book the dates and i'm there yeah 
Excellent, excellent. And you got to head over to Perth, I believe, for another study. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's um, just um, I'm lucky enough to, to go along and um, be able to help, I guess, as an RA for um, Pascal, who's um, researching in um, youth and ultra-endurance. So there's an ultra-endurance race over there that um, we're going to collect some data on um, the young athletes that are running that um, and comparing it to um, some adults that are also running that event. Mm, super interesting. Mm. And I mean, we talked about younger athletes uh, a few podcasts ago now, but um, obviously, particularly in the ultra-running space, there's very little information about it. Mm. Um, Obviously, it's not a high participation area, but there is some, and I guess there's those questions around, you know, how young is too young for, for ultra endurance athletes. So yeah, it'd be really interesting to have a look at that data. Uh, and when you say RA, you mean research assistant, so you go over there to help with collecting that data. Yeah, sorry. Yep. 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 Awesome. Yeah. Yep. So shout out to anyone that might be interested or, you know, does have a youth that is participating in ultra endurance um, events. Pascal is um, recruiting. Uh, so yeah, if you are potentially interested, shoot us a, a message and we can get you in touch with Pascal. Yep. Or if you want to have a bolt of motivation like Steph has, you can get come into the lab <laughs> in Melbourne and do the sodium study with us. We'd love to hear from you as well. I was going to say that, Al, actually. Um, I would love another person to run by my side and I actually, I reckon I'll just shout out their name right now and um, nominate Alice um, McNamara and I, I think she should be joining me on this um, adventure. There you go. Dr. Alice McNamara, who we had on the podcast, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yep. She'll well, be listening. Yeah, well, we've got the two heat chambers basically side by side with the, the see-through. You can see from one into the other. So, yep. you can yeah, you can both run side by side and be five-hour running buddies. Yeah, and she can tell us a day. Like, don't let her use, you know, that as an excuse in terms of, you know, my schedule's booked up. You're flexible around her schedule? I'm, I'm flexible around her. Excellent. <laughs> anyway, let's get into um, social media shout-outs and, and questions. So we had a bit on Instagram, Al. Yeah, yeah, we had uh, Ben contact us and he said, first of all, love the podcast, always really helpful and insightful. Training for a half marathon and some of the tips and recommendations you have across your episodes have helped me with fueling recovery adaptations. It's all starting to come together ahead of the race in May. Um, so best of luck with the race, Ben, and glad that the podcast has been helpful for you with the preparation. Love to hear back from you after that and see how it all went. Uh, mm -hmm. But he said he's also got a question for us. So just a reminder that people can send in if you've got a particular question you would like answered on the podcast. Um, but he said, and I think this is a super interesting one. It's one I've thought a lot about as well, is how can we as, as athletes balance the environmental, social and nutritional needs we have as, as a global population alongside our training, recovery and adaptation needs. And it's certainly something that often springs to mind when you see, you know, packets like empty gel packets mm -hmm. that have been used once and then discarded on the side of the trail or the road or wherever it is. Um, and then thinking about the, um, the plastic drink bottles that get used only a few times and discarded or uh, just, I guess, what the carbon footprint is of, of making all the products that go into those things that we consume during exercise. And it's something that I don't think has had a lot of attention, um, but I think it's a really interesting topic. So I've got a couple of ideas where we might be able to get some answers to that kind of a question, uh, but I think it's a mm. super interesting one uh, and one that I think is definitely worth exploring. Yeah, I've got an athlete, I think, that 
um, will be useful for that one too. Mm, so. Awesome. Uh, and we also had Ryan Shand, as he often does, um, contacts us on Instagram saying loving the infographics. So we had the one around continuous glucose monitors uh, last week that went up. He said it was a great and simple way to recap the highlights. Um, obviously, when you're you know, potentially on the train or cooking dinner or driving or doing something while you're listening to a podcast, while that can be a, a really convenient way of consuming information, it's not always that easy to then quickly jot down notes to remember something later. And he said, mm -hmm. you know, that was obviously a bit of a challenge. Um, but uh, having that infographic summary kind of allows us to kind of cover those main points for people that they can come back to later, which is great. Um, so thanks for, for the feedback on those. Um, he said, thanks for covering the question around continuous glucose monitors. A little disappointed with the answers. He puts in, <laughs> in brackets the truth. Um, but I understand that the tech evolution is, is outpacing the research um, and the plus side is, you know, no longer have to rush out and spend hundreds of dollars on a on a CGM that uh, you probably don't need, so you can buy more shoes instead. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Um, and then we also had on Facebook uh, Gay Rutherford, the president of Sports Dietitians Australia, who contacted us uh, a few weeks ago. Also got back in touch. Just really looking forward to to Greg Shaw's podcast last week around supplements. So. Hope you enjoyed that one, Gay, and, and gave you some food for thought, and obviously we'll add to that today. Um, but as usual, Steph, you're a person of the people. What have the people been saying to you this week? <laughs> um, well, this week, um, funnily enough, my, my lovely sister, she's a um, senior PE teacher at Trinity College, and um, they have a really good program there in terms of um, educating the um the, the students in nutrition and also in sports nutrition. So um, one of the topics is just, you know, what, what are health issues out there? And, um, and so one of the topics we're covering actually this week is uh, on supplements. So it's a, the perfect timing to the, the podcast. And, um, yeah, her, the, her and the students are really looking forward to some of the insights that both Greg and um, Emma have. So, yeah. That's uh, all the way from um, you know where. Gawler. <laughs> also in. Well, in Adelaide. South Australia. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a bit. Thank it's you. a it's a while out of Adelaide though, isn't it? It is a little bit out of Adelaide. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I used to. Yeah. My background was in sailing. There was a a, a race, Malang to Gawler. Oh, yeah, yeah there you go. It's on the lake there. Yeah. Yeah. But yep. um, I'm, I'm assuming you're not, you're not driving over to South Australia to do do a session with the students and then drive back again. No, I'm not. I'm not. Um, we're we're zooming it. Yes, the magic of technology. Yeah. Excellent. All right, and just a reminder that you can follow us on social media at the Long Munch on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And and as I said before, if you've got a particular question that that you'd like answered on the podcast, we're very happy to hear from you um, and add it to to our list of questions, which has been growing a little bit recently, which is good mm. to see. Um, but yeah, if, if you've got any other feedback as well, we'd obviously love to hear that as well. So today's episode out is? Yeah, episode 34B, Would I Benefit from Supplements? So it's our part B after Greg Shaw's session with us or episode with us in 34A last week. Uh, but we are joined by Emma Jeffcoat and she's our first returning athlete to the mm -hmm. podcast. So we had Professor Ben Desbro, our first returning researcher um, a little while back talking about youth athletes uh, but Emma's our first uh, two-time athlete on the podcast so we had Emma back on uh, episode 2b so one of our very first episodes 
um, back in late 2019, early 2020. I can't remember which side of the New Year break that would have been. Um, but Emma is a professional triathlete, as you said before, who went to um, the Tokyo Olympics, so her debut Olympics. Uh, and you know, being a pro triathlete, obviously Emma races around the world competing in um, various triathlon events, both sprint and, and Olympic distance, um, and also the Super League series. Um, her background was originally in, in surf lifesaving and then switched to, to triathlon uh, back in about 2015. Uh, and obviously this year, um, Commonwealth Games, triathlon is an event at the Commonwealth Games. So there's um, sort of selection for that happening at the moment. So the, the first selection event for the Australian team was actually last weekend up on the Gold Coast. Um, and as you'll hear in this interview, M, M wasn't on the start line for that event, uh, but she's got a couple of other opportunities to, to get one of those three spots. So, yeah, looking forward to, to chatting to Emma about all things supplements. Mm, yeah, me too. Um, let's get stuck into it. Yep, let's do it. Emma Jeffcoat, welcome back to the Long Munch. Thank you very much. It's nice to nice of you guys to have me back. We are seeing you not um, laying in the hammock. What's happening? No, I'm back in Melbourne. So I actually just got back from a few days at home in Colorado and the Sydney Northern Beaches and I'm back in sunny Melbourne uh, for another training block. So not not from the hammock, but from my comfortable living room. (laughs) Nice, nice. Um, So last time we spoke to you was back in episode 2B of the podcast, so a little while ago. Was that your – I was chatting to Al about this. Was was that your first podcast you'd done or or not? Yes, I think that was the first podcast I'd ever done. That's what I thought. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I know. I really (laughs) enjoyed it. That's exciting. Um, so you were six months out from um, Olympic selection for, for Tokyo last time we spoke um, and now you're obviously several months post-Olympics. Um, so how have you refle- reflected on, on the experience of it all? Yeah, I actually was only talking to a few friends over the weekend uh, while I was back home and, and one of them asked how I was doing, um, you know, almost six months on from the Games and yeah, I still, I still find it hard to put into words the Olympic experience on a whole. It's something that I think I'll probably forever struggle to sum up um, in a few words. And I don't think it deserves a few words. It deserves someone to sit down and let me tell them the story, I think. But um, <laughs> it's, yeah, I think one of my biggest reflections, um, I guess, from Tokyo and from, I guess, probably the years leading up more, than anything else was uh, I guess I always you know uh, lived by the motto of like dare to dream and it was always something that I really um, you know it motivated me it's on my bedroom wall at home it has been for as long as I can remember and um, I guess up until Tokyo I always um, loved well I always focusing on the the dream part of that motto like dare to dream and going to an Olympic Games was the dream and you know, in Tokyo, my dream came true. And I just loved the aftermath of it in that the actual daring aspect of that dream was the part that I was so proud of. Um, You know, my results in Tokyo were nothing really to write home about. Um, You know, I was 26 and in the individual and ninth in the relay. Um, And to be honest with you, was quite disappointed all round with my performance. Um, 
not taking away from the fact of how proud I was to go out there and give my best and and represent Australia. But I guess on paper the outcome wasn't what I went for. Um, but it didn't take away from the years of, you know, hard work and the amazing team I've got around me that got me there. Uh, and that's something that in hindsight I'm so proud of myself for and for daring to yeah, go after that big dream and, and making it happen. So, yeah, that's mm. probably been my biggest reflection and take home from the games. And, um, yeah, it took a lot, It took a while to get there, but I'm really proud of myself. And, um, yeah, and the journey I've been on in the last six months post-games. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, have you had a bit of a break post-games? Yeah, I did. I had a break after. I came um, – we didn't continue on overseas. Uh, I physically and mentally needed a break. So we came back. I did my two weeks quarantine in Howard Springs in Darwin, which was an experience. And <laughs> then I came back to Melbourne um, because Sydney was in a really strict lockdown at that point and not doing too well with COVID numbers. So made the call to come back to Melbourne and kind of got back training initially and then realized it really it really was time to kind of take a proper reset and, a, and take a break so I made the call and actually did head home to Sydney as they kind of eased out of that um, strict lockdown and yeah spent spent my time at home around family and friends and, and four-legged friends um, <laughs> kind of until November and then I came back to, to Melbourne and got cracking again so yeah I took a nice break. Yeah so you feel a bit bit more refreshed and and ready to get back into it yeah definitely it was certainly what I needed yeah 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 um and and what's the plan for 2022 com com games yes yeah so unfortunately I just missed on the weekend they had the first uh automatic selection event on the Gold Coast for triathlon so they gave one male and one female spot out to that race um Unfortunately, a few things happened in the last kind of month that meant that uh, we had to play a long game and, and not line up for that one, which is really disappointing. Um, and, you know, as an athlete, it's so frustrating not to be towing that start line. Mm -hmm. uh, but fortunately, I was able to, you know, watch one of my training partners, Sophie, gain the automatic selection spot for the female and Matt for the men. So that was terrific and really exciting to see and um, hopefully I'll be lining up in Yokohama which is in about six weeks time for the first world triathlon series event uh, and that doubles as our second um, automatic qualification I guess avenue for the com games in Birmingham uh, and then there'll be one additional spot which will be discretionary so yeah definitely targeting uh, targeting the world triathlon series as a whole for 2022 to get back to international racing and Hopefully, if I'm performing at that level, I'll deserve a spot on the um, Australian team for Birmingham. And then beyond that, looking to Super League and, um, yeah, the grand final in Abu Dhabi. So a massive year. And, um, yeah, it's we finish in November in Abu Dhabi, the end of November. So, yeah, it's a long game, this one. And, um, yeah, but I'm looking forward to getting back to racing. It's like Formula One finishing in November in Abu Dhabi. <laughs> Hopefully it's as exciting as that. Yeah, yeah, last <laughs> last lap uh, chaos. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, awesome. So um, our topic today is would I benefit from supplements? Um, and last week we were lucky enough to, to speak to Greg Shaw, who you may um, know. Um, uh, and so we spoke to him about his approach to helping athletes work through that particular question. 
But for you coming up in, in sport through, I guess, surf life's um, saving first and then into triathlon, um, can you remember your earliest experiences with supplements and how you kind of became aware of them, how you were kind of exposed to them? Yeah. So I, like you said, I grew up doing surf lifesaving and swimming, but was mostly competitive um, in surf lifesaving. And my earliest exposure to supplements would have been uh, in that world, but in a very relaxed setting, um, definitely not an informed uh I was not an informed athlete back then. I was in my later years of high school and then early years out of high school. But, you know, I would have been, you're talking about like a protein shake. That was about as as technical as I got when it came to supplements back then. Uh, and to be honest, for me, I was never, um, never really someone that felt the need or the pressure to take supplements to try and, I guess, enhance um, performance, which I know we'll touch on later, but I kind of back then was lucky enough that I grew up with, you know, a mum that put great food on the table every night. Um, I ate a well-balanced diet and I didn't really feel like I was lacking any nutritional, um, I guess, yeah, I didn't have any deficits I felt nutrition wise. So I didn't feel the need to kind of supplement my diet with a supplement, um, and so I would say the only kind of thing that I saw or questioned whether I should be taking um, in those early days was probably in the form of protein powder for a protein shake straight after training. Mm. And who would you go to in terms of working out, yeah, you know, sh- should I have this particular protein supplement and, and what is it? Yeah, back then in surf club um, days before I kind of moved into triathlon and and things became a bit different. I honestly, there was no one back then that I was really seeing. I wasn't seeing a dietitian. I was really heavily reliant on the other athletes around me. So I was kind of at my surf club, I was kind of the baby and the youngest one of the bunch. Uh, and so I did look up to those older and more experienced athletes mm-hmm. um, and would have gone to them for, you know, advice on multiple avenues, but definitely nutrition. I would, I would turn to them Uh and they would have been the ones, especially the guys, the older ones taking the protein shakes. Um, but I guess I was fortunate enough that, you know, I was in a healthy environment and there was never anyone questioning why I wasn't taking any supplements or, um, you know, pressuring me to be having that. So I'd just, you know, have a shower and get changed and go home to have dinner straight away. So it, um, in saying that, I think the definitely – in the level of racing that I was doing back then, um, you know, I never got drug tested in surf lifesaving and that was an experience I had for the first time in triathlon. And I think that went hand in hand with realizing I needed to really educate and kind of upskill myself in that avenue of supplementation. Mm, Yeah, that was, yeah, my next question really in terms of um, when did you kind of first get informed and educated about supplements and um, the precautions that you need to take as a, um, high-level yeah. athlete. Yeah, so actually I think, you know, and I'm glad you guys got me on for this topic because I think, you know, I, my story is probably one that can be really beneficial to a lot of athletes. Uh, you know, I got my professional triathlon license in 2014 uh, in about the middle of the year and I went to go race um, in Hong Kong for my first ITU, I guess, professional race. Um I placed second and I was over the moon and I got drug tested for the first time over in Hong Kong. 
uh, and everything was fine. Um, you know, was stoked with my race and it was actually six weeks later on, I remember the day, the 4th of December, I got an email from, um, WADA notifying me that I'd have a, had a positive, um, like a positive drug test and that my sample had came back with adverse, um, findings. Um, and for me, I wasn't taking any supplements, but what I was taking was I had, um, poor skin at the time. So I was seeing a, um, doctor to try and help clear up my skin. And so we were trying like a range of medications, um, to try and help that. And the medication that I was on at the time of that Hong Kong race, I was on for literally a four week period. It did nothing. My skin actually reacted worse to it, Mm. Uh, but it was a diuretic. So Mm. I had no idea that at the time I was taking a masking agent Mm. um, and didn't even know that there was such thing as, you know, taking a medication I was referred to take by a doctor with a prescription um, Mm. and something that in my mind, I never would have thought twice about being performance enhancing and nor was it, it was Mm. technically dehancing in being a diuretic, but I had no idea that it was a masking agent. So I had a very, very, very steep learning curve to the world of, um, I guess that was a medication, um, but I guess it goes hand in hand, right, with the same Mm. process you would find if you took a supplement unknowingly uh, and got an adverse finding. So what that meant was I, um, well, one, I was devastated because they automatically back then gave me a four-year ban and it Mm. was for me to then um, take I guess, um, the steps moving on with how I'd processed and dealt with that. So we, um, yeah, my family, my coach, my dietitian and my doctor who were all in the loop, uh, at the time around like the medication and what I was going through, we quickly got the evidence together and kind of were very easily able to like give a timeline and show why I was on the medication and that, I just simply missed the step of applying for a TUE um, yeah. and had I have done that, it would have um, been all fine, but I just missed that. So uh, fortunately enough, the, I guess, wider board could see that and they gave me like a one-month suspension. So I was let off very lightly and by the time they made that decision in early Jan, I'd already served like the one month retrospectively. Mm. So in hindsight, it like... I was very lucky and I think early in my career I got a very steep learning Mm. curve in the world of, um, you know, substances and checking your substances, both medications and um, supplementation. So I think for me I look back on that as being quite fortunate Mm. um, and it's, I guess, left me with like a ingrained, um, you know, I don't take anything without triple checking it and kind of being sure that, I can take the utmost, I guess, um, precaution to know that it's, you know, independently tested, batch tested, um, or approved before I take that. So yeah, I, the, the world of triathlon gave me, um, a, a baptism of fire, that's for sure. Um, and, um, and how, what's the kind of education that you're given, you know, on supplements, um, as a professional tri- triathlete? Yeah, so now, um, like I said, I was very early in the sport when that happened. Like I'd literally just earned my um, professional license and and was heading overseas to do my first ITU Continental Cup. Um, whereas now, these days, it's we actually just completed it over the weekend. World Triathlon require you as athletes racing um, with a world ranking to complete, uh, I guess, 
what our equivalent is is Sports Integrity Australia, the um, doping level one and level two, like anti-doping, sorry, level one and level two courses. So that's a prerequisite to be able to line up and start um, in a world triathlon kind of level race, which I think is terrific. Yeah. Uh, and triathlon Australia also, if you want to, like, if you sign your athlete agreement, part of that is um, being up to date with your anti-doping certificates, which is, yeah, um, the annual updates to both the level one and level two course each year. So it kind of updates you on the changes, um, which there kind of are each year in regards to, I guess, certain classes of drugs that might be changed or new drugs that are prohibited, um, you know, methods of, you know, I know this year around like um, cortisone injections, there's changes in, I guess, the window and timeframes that you can have them. So, yeah, really important. And I think the sporting bodies are definitely trying to help us athletes. And it's, I think one thing that I learned is it's the responsibility is solely on the athlete. You know, um, you can't kind of, share like shift that blame on anyone else because at the end of the day you're ingesting the substance so it's on you to know what you're putting in your body mm. um but i really appreciate that they're trying to give at athletes every opportunity and for those that don't take the opportunity on themselves they're kind of forcing you to to do the education to hopefully um prevent things like that happening yeah yep yep i think yeah um the sports integrity australia the the education program is is really good um mm. yeah we have to do it as sports dietitians to our and yep. um yeah and i think they are trying to make it as easy as possible you know with all the apps and um videos and um all of that as well and showing case studies as well which i think is what people need to see like your story um that will surely wake people up with um trying to be more cautious of of what they're taking yeah definitely i think the app is so user-friendly too. Um, it's terrific. You know, you can jump on your phone anywhere and check check a medication or check a supplement, um, especially with the supplements. You know, I know um, they have certain supplements that are independently tested or, you know, have, um, I guess, that have been batch tested that they have listed that, you know, whilst they never really can approve or give you the green tick for a supplement. It's about as safe as they can get. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that's one feature in the app that I really love um, in that, you know, it just gives, it gives me, I guess, that maximum level of, I guess, safety or security if I want, if I'm choosing to take a supplement um, when it's already kind of been batch tested and, and registered into the Sports Integrity Australia app. But equally just being on the go and, you know, I'm a nurse but I still don't know every, clearly don't know every class of medication. Um, so it's just so easy, you know, if a doctor prescribes something for whatever cause, um, you can just jump on the app and quickly, you know, look it up and, and find exactly whether that's allowed or, you know, whether that's allowed in competition, out of competition, prohibited, what, you know, yeah. method of, um, I guess, administration that's allowed. So, yeah, they've done a really great job with that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and I was going to say, what, what do you think athletes in general are attracted to in supplements? Do you think there's kind of common beliefs that athletes share about supplements? I think, to be honest, I think, uh, well, I think there might be a level of, I guess, belief that maybe supplements can enhance performance, but only among those uh, that are probably I guess, more up-and-coming athletes, I would say. I think amongst those elite top-level athletes, they've had enough education and worked with, I guess, 
dietitian and nutrition nutritional staff to know and be you know in a great level of communication with around diet and intake um and training and performance to kind of know that there's probably no quick fix you're going to get in a supplement that's going to make you a world champion overnight so uh i think that's probably a common misconception amongst younger athletes that maybe you know or i see you know just like a maybe even a thought of like oh um you might just see like i guess older athletes taking a supplement that they've done their research on and kind of just going oh well they t- they take you know supplements not knowing what supplement it is exactly mm. you know well anything's fine for me to take i don't that would probably be my assumption and i think where that shifts is probably athletes that are a bit more mature or experienced or as i said at a higher level where they are fortunate enough to work with you know, directly work with dietitian staff like yourself, mm. I think you kind of come to realise that supplements only optimise, um, help you optimise performance rather than enhancing performance. Yep. Um, and I just find it quite comical. I think often, um, you know, the nurse in me knows that we pee most of it out anyway, so <laughs> I think it just becomes an expensive purchase half the time. Yeah. Yep. And um, so can you give us an insight, I guess, um, into the, the sort of supplements that you've tried over the years in terms of your triathlon career and the decision-making process that you go through when you are considering a particular supplement? Yeah. Um, so I guess for me, over the course of my career, I'm probably quite simple, um, but I'll kind of, I guess, try and break it up into diff- like racing and day-to-day. Yeah. Um so I guess more day-to-day for me, I, I take Ferrograd C, um, mm-hmm. not all the time, but in certain, I guess, specific, um, I guess, periods of training. Yeah. Um, you know, if I'm using Altitude or an Altitude tent or if I'm feeling um, a bit run down. I'm also being a black, I was a vegetarian for a very long time. So it um, that was kind of another consideration around iron. Um mm-hmm that Ferrograd C is a supplement I've taken over the years um, and quite a relatively safe one. I know a lot of, quite a lot of athletes um, take Ferrograd C, especially to kind of supplement iron when they may be at altitude or, or using out, um, artificial altitude. Um, so that's definitely one. And then another supplement that I would probably um, will have taken day to day is protein powder. So, whey protein um i'm fortunate enough to be sponsored by true protein and they've been terrific uh they're kind of they're the only protein i've ever really taken i was using it before i I went on came on board with them but they're awesome in you know i'm from colorado the northern beaches and their factory is literally five minutes down the road in brookvale so Mm. i can um it's two doors down from the gym i use back home and i can kind of drive past and see you know the factory right there so i know it's kind of manufactured in Sydney, in a plant in-house, um, they have HASTA-approved batch testing um, and it kind of gives me that peace of mind. And it's on the so Sports Integrity Australia app. You know, you can I can search true protein-rich chocolate or salted mm-hmm. caramel and it comes up with the batch um, the batch number and it's I can kind of have that, like I said, that utmost, I guess, um, safety like that you could get in a supplement if, before you take it. Uh, and true protein are great too in that like when you order online I can tick there's a box I can tick say that I'm a, an athlete and I only want to be able to purchase 
um, products that it has to approve. So that automatically filters what I put in my cart and it won't let me put stuff in the cart um, if it's not has to approve. So I think that's a great kind of screening tool for especially for younger athletes, you know. Mm. Yes, you might put one thing in your in your cart while you're shopping on a site for um so, you know for protein and then something else catches your eye and you you know it might slip your mind to to and you think that everything on that site is mm. you know safe to take and it's not the case at all. Mm-hmm. Um prime example of that is is true released a uh, beta alanine uh, kind of product a while back um, and send it out to athletes to try. And, you know, it's normally when they do that, um, they'll have all the, I guess, batch testing and the data, uh, the kind of like information on that and it didn't come attached. So I kind of asked the question, had it been batch tested and was it has to approved? And they quickly came back and actually said like, oh, no, it hasn't been. And um, and then sent an email out to every athlete saying, you know, we actually, can you please not take it? You know, mm. we want to wait to do the, to go through that process before we have you guys um, testing it and giving us feedback on the product. So, um, you know, in that sense, um, for me uh, at True Protein, I'm lucky um, that they do a great job in helping me. But, yeah, for it, generally I use the whey protein and they have a collagen product. So I um, have worked with Alan in kind of incorporating the collagen uh, into my kind of recovery um, and day-to-day use as well. Um, so for me, that's pretty much it day-to-day. It's quite simple. Mm-hmm. Um, I love coffee, but <laughs> that's um, from, made from the barista. Um, <laughs> and then I guess I racing, I use um, no-dose. So uh, before a race, I'll take um, two no-dose tablets and I also use bicarb um, uh, before some races. So they're, I guess, two medications slash supplements that I, well, supplements that I use before a race. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I make, I'm in a habit of taking photos of the bottles um, with their batch numbers and I'm, yeah, comfortable in my decision in, in taking those those supplements knowing that they're relatively, you know, as safe as they can almost, they can kind of be as far mm-hmm. as supplements go. Yep. Um, and the same with gels. So I use talk gels. Um, I just prefer the taste of them. I like that they're quite liquid-based and um, similar to True Protein, I can uh, order a box online that have all been batch-tested. So, again, just gives me that peace of mind um, in racing that what I'm putting in my body isn't going to, you know, give me a scare down the line and I'm not, Mm. I guess, um, inadvertently taking something that's uh, contaminated or prohibited. Yep. Yeah, and I think, um, yeah, you, you know, it's about you're taking the supplements but you know when you're taking the supplements, like you're not taking bicarb all the time. Um, no. So minimising risks there. Um, and then also, like, the, it's great that those companies have the, um, the extra thing that you can tick um, for yeah. sure, but it also shows that you still need to be so well educated and aware because there can be slip ups even by the best intentioned companies and and people. So um, yeah, just goes to show that the um, education of the athlete is still really important. Yeah, definitely. And I think like for any athlete, I think yeah, like we spoke about earlier, the Sports Integrity Australia app is terrific. You know, when you want to search a supplement I think I was just looking um earlier today ahead of the podcast I think there's about nine questions that you have to go through um when searching a supplement that are kind of like filters um you know 
that very clearly kind of put a red flag um, against a supplement if it wasn't, you know, if it was something that was more than likely going to come back to bite you. So I think as an athlete, if you go to when, you know, wondering whether you should take a supplement or not, you know, if you go through that app, you're pretty quickly going to find out whether it's a safe well, safer um, avenue to, to investigate further or, or whether you kind of just put it back on the shelf and, and leave that one be. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm just interested, Em, because obviously you've been, uh, as you said, using sodium bicarb, uh, and that was something you were already doing before you came down to Melbourne and trained with Danielle, so sort of precedes my time. But I'm interested, you know, with, with that or with caffeine or something like that, can you remember kind of the... I guess the thought process that you worked through to sort of go, okay, well, there's this potential supplement. Um, presumably, there's information coming from a dietitian or someone else, and then you know all the steps that you go through to decide, yep, I'm going to use this particular thing in in training or racing. Yeah, I think definitely. I think um, for me, the caffeine it was kind of a no brain in that I have caffeine every day. Mm. Um, it's part of my, I guess, regular training routine and, and diet you could say. Um, and for me on race day, I want to have that caffeine. I, you know, don't, that whole saying, don't do anything different on race day. Mm. Um, I have my two crumpets for breakfast, so I want to have my coffee with it. Um, but sometimes on race day, I don't want to have that, I guess, cup of dairy. Um, you know, I, a cup of milk might not go down too well if I'm trying to sip a Powerade with my breakfast kind of thing. Yeah. So, where the no dose helps me is I know that I'm going to get that caffeine intake that I want um, and that I'm used to having, especially like towards the morning if I've got an early race, um, but I'm not going to risk an upset tummy. Um, yeah. And I know that I can stomach that quite easily while getting the fluid on board. Uh, and with the bicarb uh, for us, I know um, we kind of looked at that um, as something that we knew could potentially, like I said earlier, optimize performance. So not looking to enhance my performance, but just looking to, I guess, optimize. Um, and knowing that bi uh, sodium bicarb can help kind of buffer lactate, we looked to see whether that was something that would potentially be of use to me in a race, um, whether it might have nil effect or whether it might completely cause a stomach upset and I'm running to the bathroom. So um yeah, that was something I trialed with alongside my coach and a dietitian uh, at, you know, some local races to see how, one, how I could stomach it, um, you know, in the lead up to the race because obviously it's quite, uh, I take it in the form of sodium bicarb capsules. Mm. Um, so you've got to take quite a lot in the kind of two hours in the lead up to the race uh, and quite frequently. And then you also need to ingest that with quite a lot of liquid. So there's definitely an element of practice around that. Um again, education and knowing um, and, and testing, trial and error. So uh, that was something we worked on and I think, you know, it's something that I notice a difference when I take the sodium bicarb. Um, whether it's placebo or not, I feel like um, it does help me buffer a bit of lactate and I do get that, I guess, I guess those lactate sensations later on in the race. Which, so I think it's doing exactly what um, it's there to help do. Yep. Uh, so I, yeah, make an educated decision and a professional decision based on that. I think it helps optimise performance. It's perfectly legal. I choose to take yep. it um, for certain races. Yeah. 
Yep. And did you get any of those sort of gut issues in the early days when you're trying it out? Like, was there a bit of trial and error to kind of work out, okay, this is how I should take it. This is how much food or fluids I should have with it to minimize those risks. Or did it, you were lucky and it sort of was okay from the start? I, both with the caffeine and the bicarb, um, Danielle, when I came to her, we changed up what my uh, race warm up routine was. Mm. So um, that also kind of then shifted I guess the supplement intake as well. So we changed things totally around. Um, so it did take some trial and error to begin with. Fortunately enough, I didn't have any, I guess, emergency bathroom stops or disaster stories for you. Sorry guys. But um, <laughs> I, for me, I just got a little bit um, of like a, I don't know how to say it other than like, it just felt because there's a lot of capsules to take for this um, sodium bicarb. I just wasn't taking enough fluid on board with those. Yep. So it just felt like they were almost just sitting up in my throat um, and kind of getting a bit of reflux. So that was kind of easily corrected with just getting more fluid on board, which, you know, um, when it came to Tokyo, that was kind of perfect because it meant that I was going to be well hydrated when I got on that start line. Yeah. Um, I'd also practiced um, in many races in the months leading up to be you know, comfortable being well hydrated and sipping on fluid the entire lead up to the to the race start. Um, mm. And the same with the caffeine. I used to take it probably two hours um, out from race start. So that was something that I had to, I guess, be comfortable to try with, with Danielle and trying to push that back further so that now I take the, um, the, caf- the no-dose um, an hour before race start. And I personally, I won't then use a caffeinated gel, so I'll just take a normal gel. Um so that's that's my preference. I um, yeah, the last thing I'll take is the no dose, and then I'll just have sips of water or, or a Powerade before race start. I don't, I don't take a gel right right before race start. Um, I take gels in an Olympic distance event, um, and might choose to use a caffeine caffeinated gel in an Olympic distance. But yeah, for me, that was again practice scenario, and we and we kind of learnt what was what was what, what would sit right for my stomach. Yep, yep, fair enough. And I remember doing a. Um... I think it was a Cycling Australia coaches course and we were talking about supplements there and, and obviously a lot of the guys are ex-athletes. So I sort of said, oh, has anyone tried sodium bicarb? And <laughs> one guy puts up his hand and I turn around and I won't say who it is, but a, a, an ex-Olympian, very well-known track cyclist. Um, and I said, you know, what was your experience? And, and obviously, you know, it was quite a while you know, earlier, you know, 10, 15 years ago when sodium bicarb was relatively new and, and people didn't probably understand the amount of fluid that you need to take with it. And he said, oh, well, it was a bit dicey because he said you'd sit on the start line and you didn't know if you were going to w- break a world record or shit your pants. And that was his experience. <laughs> yeah. It was like roulette with the, the bicarb. So glad to hear that hasn't been the experience for you. No, and I actually have heard that come out of the person's mouth that, you, that you're quoting. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I can, um, can back that one up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, have there ever been any supplements in the past that you've um, sort of experimented around a little bit, but then decided for whatever reason, no, nah, this isn't really for me, or I'm, I'm not going to continue using that for any particular reason? Um, not, not, well, I guess what I would probably say, and I would love having listened to part, I guess, part A of this, this um, discussion. Um, there was back in the early days when I first started triathlon, um, I think, yeah, due to a lack of kind of education and probably and not working with, a, I guess, a specific enough sports dietitian, um, 
I was taking a multivitamin and quickly stopped that and Mm -hmm. also used to take magnesium um, and calcium on top of the iron um, and only later realized that, you know, taking iron and and calcium together doesn't really, um, it's kind of counterintuitive. So, um, and then other, there's been times too that, um, again, I, you know, someone would recommend, oh, you should take vitamin D, you know, it helps the uptake and and I'd take vitamin D and then, you know, um, realize that I spend enough time in the sun and (laughs) was... Mm. So I quickly got smart enough to realize that um, actually I should do a little bit more of my own home research, uh, not home research, but do enough, a bit more of my own research and um, actually fact check it. So now I'm proud to say um, I'm a lot more educated and I'll do things like a blood test now to get, um, you know, an accurate reading on my vitamin D levels and, and see, you know, where I'm at with things like that to make more of an informed decision. Um so, yeah, like I said, now it's it's Ferrograd C when and if I need it alongside you know, whey protein and some collagen, it's very simple. Um, mm. And I guess my attitude is I kind of where I, I guess, like to go first is if I'm considering a supplement, I kind of just question, can I get this from my food? Do I need to go to a supplement to get this or can I get this from my diet? Um and if not, um, and if there is benefit to a supplement, is there actually benefit? Like, um, mm. do I know it's going to be serving it or am I just going to be peeing it, like peeing it out and it's got no benefit? Um, and I'm, I'm just putting myself at unnecessary risk by taking the supplement. Um, yeah. So, and, and equally, I'm fortunate enough that I am pretty well healthy, um, you know, so I'm not sitting here looking um, – or scratching at straws to kind of, I guess, you know, fill a gap or, or fix a deficiency. Um, yeah, I'm fortunate enough that I have a well-balanced diet and am mostly, um, you know, healthy and doing very well. So I'm not kind of, I guess, yeah, looking, you know, um, looking down that avenue, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, particularly, I guess, for you guys, because of the large training volumes that you do, you know, you've got to put away a lot of food just to be able to fuel that kind of training volume. And so, yeah. you know, as long as you're not completely excluding entire food groups or something, it's going to be pretty difficult in most situations not to get enough of everything just because of the sheer quantity of what you're eating. Yeah, exactly. And I think, like, that's where something like a protein does serve its purpose, um, you know, mm. because after a hard – well, and carbohydrate, you know, after a hard session, it's not physically feasible for me to jump out of the pool or off the bike and, and be sitting down and eating it an adequate protein and carbohydrate, you know, dense meal. So that's where I make the decision that, yeah, in this moment it is appropriate for me to take a post-workout carbohydrate and protein shake um, or protein shake and carbohydrates in food form um, straight away to get, you know, to get that fuel and and get that recovery process started so that adaptations from the training can happen um, in the window that you've got to maximise that. Um, so that's, again, I guess, another factor that weighs into my decision-making process. Um, but as you said, those other kind of, I guess, yeah, a lot of other nutrients that, or like reasons that might make people turn to supplements, I feel like there's no reason why you can't look to your diet first of all to get that. Um, mm. Yeah. The, so. yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, now, now, Greg spoke last week on the podcast, I guess, about the potential kind of unintended effect of supplements in that you know it can in some cases make people maybe a bit more complacent about their day-to-day diet and and you know getting adequate nutritional intake from their food 
because well i've got a supplement why do i need to worry you know about it from a from a dietary point of view do you feel like either in your younger years that you sort of experienced anything like that with the multivitamin or have you sort of observed or seen people comment on that in other athletes you've been around uh i would say i think i'm fortunate enough that coming from a sport where um, in triathlon, you, you're not going to get away with under eating or under fueling. So fuel is such an important part to both performance, um, health and recovery. So I think we are fortunate enough that we do have to consume quite a large amount of food. And so you do generally, if you're eating a well-balanced diet, you're going to be ticking a lot of those boxes. Uh, so I don't feel like, you know, maybe this is, I, I'm just, you know, thinking here but um so I could be well off the mark but maybe you know in particular sports where um you know maybe you have to get try and get down to a certain weight or be lean or um like extra lean and so have to cut out certain food groups or you know something where your event might be like a sprint at where it's a 10 second event not a two-hour race where something mm. like explosive p- speed and power become you know exponentially more important that maybe then Um, I would have been in a position growing up that you would be looking for, I guess, you know, in that, in that instance, the most like minimal, I guess, differences are huge um, when we're talking about Mm. seconds. So potentially then it would have made me go um, think more to what supplements can, I guess, optimize my performance when performance is measured in millimeter, uh, you know, millimeters or, um, such small increments but I think for me and the athletes that I've been around it hasn't been um something that I've I guess looked to uh the only thing I'll say in the past is and I guess it kind of goes hand in hand the time that I was probably taking like the multivitamin and looking to take the magnesium and the calcium and the vitamin d was when I was injured um or coming back from an injury so you're vulnerable um you know, as an athlete, you're trying to figure out all the little reasons why these injuries happen and how can you prevent it. Um, mm. And I guess sometimes it's easy to, I guess, go for a quick fix in that, you know, oh, well, it must be because I was just deficient, um, you know, and that sounds about right. You know, if I've had a bone stress injury, I'll just take some calcium, vitamin D will help the uptake, you know, take some iron and a multivitamin. I'm sure that'll fix all my issues. Um mm. I'm wise enough and experienced enough to know that that's not the answer now. Um, so, you know, when I'm, if and when I'm, you know, unfortunately facing a niggle or um, an injury, I, well, one, I work with the team around me that, you know, I'm now fortunate enough to have that help me, you know, um, look at all the different factors that weigh into an injury, like, um, you know, diet and nutrition can and, and, um, things like your bloods to get an idea of where those levels are at, um, that I'm not, I guess, having to, I guess, sit with um, an unfortunate injury by myself and, and try and pick apart what I can what I can do to avoid that next time, which I think can lead people down a path of, yeah, like I said, when you're vulnerable and feeling a bit desperate of, of, of an easy, well, I say easy, but, um, yeah, uh, an incorrect fix in the form of supplementation. Yep, yeah, yeah. So it doesn't sound like there's any sort of gyteremas or Usain Bolts out there that are just eating chicken nuggets because they're multivitamins. They're like, ah, oh, that's fine. <laughs> I did hear, I think everyone's heard that her Usain Bolt lived off, yeah, KFC and chicken nuggets. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not for me. No, 
no, no. Well, maybe he was doing it to get the creatine because chickens are a pretty good source of creatine. So oh. who knows? Yeah, maybe he's just optimizing his creatine intake for sprinting. Who knows? Um, do you ever feel as an athlete, um, or, or, or again, seen this in, in other athletes, that sort of sense or, or mindset of kind of FOMO with supplements? It's sort of like, well, if all these other people I'm competing against are using supplements and I'm not, and they're maybe getting some advantage of those supplements, then if I don't take those supplements, I'm kind of falling behind. And so I need to take whatever they're taking to make sure I'm not missing out. Do you ever kind of see or hear that kind of mentality around the place? Uh, for me personally, I don't. Um, I can certainly emphasize with that feeling though. Um, and I think like I just mentioned earlier, I definitely think um, that can strike on an athlete when they are vulnerable um, and potentially mm. going through maybe they're plateauing and um, in training or they're in a bit of a lull. Um, they might be injured or have been sick, whatever it might be. Um, I think when people are vulnerable, they're more susceptible to be looking for like an answer um, rather than, mm. I guess, probably what might be the actual cause to, to what's going on. So um, I could see definitely how that can arise and how that can happen. And I think one thing though I do realise and I do really appreciate um, for athletes um, and especially younger athletes up and coming today is social media. I think that's quite a negative mm. supplement space. Um, the amount of times I see ads pop up on my Instagram um, for certain supplements from and from some well-known brands um, and well-known athletes endorsing that brand. Um, and so for athletes that that ad um, or that post from either the athlete or the company alike, um, you know, if that comes onto an a younger athlete or any athlete's feed it's I can see how easy that is to go oh well that athlete's you know a gold medalist or um made it onto a world championships team or you know is an athlete that I aspire to and they're partnered with that brand so you know they all those supplements must be safe or that must be why they're doing well because they take a supplement and it's like no I know firsthand that just because you know you might endorse you know I'm I love True Protein and as I've said, I take, you know, they have a wide range of products, a very wide range, and I take two of them. Um, you know, there's lots of things that True Protein offer um, that it has to approve um, and, you know, that might be of benefit for some athletes in different sports that I'm not going to look at and uh, supplements that I know I don't need to consider or take Um but I can easily see the world of social media, how for a vulnerable or uh, inexperienced or uneducated athlete or just someone that doesn't do their research, it could be very easy to fall down that, that path of thinking or just aligning, yeah, um, an athlete that might be endorsing a brand um, and aligning them to every supplement that the brand offers and that's not the case. Uh, and you yeah. don't really know whether that athlete's even taking the supplement that they're promoting, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, now you mentioned before, obviously there's like the bicarb capsules, uh, and then obviously the you know the protein powder and the collagen powder and things like that. Have you ever encountered any problems where you've had to then travel overseas for races, being able to take those supplements with you? Like you ever gone to places or countries where you can't take those supplements, and so then all of a sudden what you're used to having as part of your race routine is no longer available to you? Yeah, I. I haven't had that. Oh no, I I haven't had it happen to me, but I've witnessed it happen to um, an athlete. We were going to a World Cup in China, um, and through customs, they had what I would assume is protein powder um, in their bag, and they, 
you know, protein powder quite often comes in a big tub, um, you know, minimum one kilo. You're not taking that, you know, luggage space, especially for a triathlete, is very scarce. Uh, so you're not taking the big tub with you. You're probably going to put it into maybe a Ziploc, Ziploc bag or a small bag. Um, so, yeah, going through customs in China where they're checking your bags, seeing a, a white plastic bag of powder is pretty sus. Um, mm. There's language barriers. Um, and quite frankly, my go-to would be to just give it, hand it over and chuck, like not even debate the issue with them. Um, so that was something I witnessed straight up. And I think what I have been in the habit of doing when it comes to any medication or supplement, well, medications I'll take um, – Actually, before I go overseas each year for lack of my long stint, I go to my GP and get a letter from her um, outlining what prescriptions I have or I'm, like, able to have on me um, and medications that I might have on me. So I just feel like that's an added extra that's easy to do for, I guess, um, my own safety that I'm, I guess, got that extra layer of comfort in traveling with certain medications I might not be having but want to have with me in case I need overseas. Mm. Uh and in terms of supplements, I, yeah, what I tend to do is like for true, uh, like the true whey protein I'll use, I kind of like will empty instead of like taking the protein powder out of the bag that it comes in and putting it into a Ziploc, I'll take it out and leave the Ziploc bag at home and take the actual true protein um, or whatever protein it might be that you use, take the actual kind of, well, hopefully if it's not a tub, um, if you can get it in a like a softer, I guess, um, packaging, so you can, I guess, have that in its official packaging, so it looks mm. well. Yeah, it is legit. Um, it's much more well. It's much less likely to be questioned, and if it is questioned, they can easily read and see the labeling and the ingredients. Um, yep. And the same with the collagen. So that's kind of what I do to avoid. Yeah, just no one likes to be pulled over in customs and. And questioned on things, especially if there are language barriers and especially, if, you know, it's something that you do take daily and then you might be looking at, at now no longer having any of those um, supplements with you uh, over there. So that's something that I kind of do out of habit now. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. So to wrap all of this up, I guess if listeners are keen to learn more about a particular supplement and whether or not it's likely to be, you know, potentially beneficial for them or not. Obviously, not everyone has kind of the access that you do at an elite level through, you know, institutes of sport and having that kind of team around you. So, you know, imagine, you know, age groupers or recreational athletes, what would you suggest, what kind of process do you think they could go through to sort of help figure out what, what they can do or whether a supplement's likely to be helpful for them? I think your go-to should be to ask questions before just jumping on and taking a supplement um, mm. because you think it's going to benefit probably like don't have that be your default. Uh, let your default be to go ask questions and get all the information you can so that you're making the most educated and empowered decision that you can before taking that supplement. Um, so that might mean reaching out to a dietitian or a nutritionist um, in in and around you helping to, to get, yeah, to make the best decision. Uh, and or it could be going to your local GP and getting a blood test to see, you know, whether it's something that you actually you actually need um, and whether it's going to serve the process, the purpose of what you're after would probably be my, my tips to go to before just buying something and giving it a whirl. Yep, yep, no, good suggestions. All right, I'm going to hand over to Steph now and she's going to bring us home with our bonus round. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, cool. So these are a few new questions for you um, so we can get to know a little bit more about you um, apart from loving Biscoff, which is what we learned <laughs> last time. Um, so favourite place to get away um, from triathlon if you want to get away from it? Yeah. Uh, my favourite place to get away is uh, our family has like a holiday uh kind of home up at Seal Rocks so that's like three and a half hours north of Sydney um we are fortunate enough to kind of have a place at the lighthouse cottage so literally at Seal Rocks or Sugarloaf Lighthouse uh and yeah we've been there for about 10 years and spend um well yeah my parents are there at the minute um they spend every waking minute they can uh up there and us kids unfortunately get there less and less it seems as the years go on but yeah over over the Christmas New Year's period I always get up there and um, I'll be heading up there for a few days over Easter next week and it's just somewhere to me that yeah it's so special to our family and it's on the coast in the middle of a national park um, with no internet um, reception so it's just the perfect kind of uh, reset, unwind, and yeah, like almost like a pause button. I love it. Mm. Yeah. So, do you guys actually get to go in the lighthouse itself? <laughs> it's automatic, unfortunately, but we. Uh, so it's we, still operational. Yeah, it, yeah, it's definitely yeah, yeah, 100% yeah. still operational. Uh, <laughs> and we can get inside, which is yeah, awesome. Um, I yeah, I absolutely love it up there. There's the stars up there are like nothing else. So my favourite thing to do at night is to go up to the lighthouse and, yeah, look up at the stars and um, listen to the ocean. It's, yeah, it's really cathartic. Yeah, awesome. Um, favourite moment from the Tokyo Olympics or the Paralympics um, that was not your event? Yeah. Uh, I would say it's probably a tie Um between the day we arrived on the Friday was the opening ceremony. Um, so whilst it, only a small group of people got to go to actual the actual opening ceremony, they had like a opening ceremony in the village at the Aussie HQ. Um, and for me, that was probably like the moment I felt like it sunk in that I was actually at the Olympic Games. Um, we dressed up in the opening ceremony, like formal uniform. Everyone was dressed up. You know, you put your blazer on. Um you are surrounded by your teammates who are seeing, you know, waltzing Matilda, um, you know, just the atmosphere and the morale. Uh, yeah, it was something that you dream of as a kid and it was kind of the moment for me that all sunk in and just like surrounded by people that were living out the same kind of dream come true was, yeah, it was incredible. Uh, and the other moment I would say for me was, again, similar, like the unique experience we got through COVID at the Tokyo 2020 Olympics was, um, you know, we couldn't go and watch other events. You were either at your race venue or you're at the village or you were at the airport. That was no leaving the village uh, for any other reason. So um, it made kind of the village experience very unique in that, you know, for us as triathletes to – to get some cycling or running training in, you know, it meant kind of doing a 1K cycle loop around the, the square road of the village um, or, or a run loop. So just like day-to-day kind of going around the village and seeing all these other Olympic-level athletes and, and people that you aspire to across the globe in different sports was just, you know, and going to the dining hall and, and sitting at the same table as, um, you know, 
Andy Murray or um, Nadal. It just was so surreal. Uh, and, yeah, I think back to that was one moment, given no one could be on deck at the pool, was everyone would sit down at the bottom of the Aussie HQ. They had, like, chairs and a coffee van and big plasma screens and watching the um, swimming events and the final. So for the um, Emma McKeon's 100-metre freestyle win and Arnie's wins, we were all sitting down there watching and, yeah, it's almost like one of those moments where time stands still and, and everyone around you, you just, yeah, looking your, yeah, just in awe of everyone living through the same experience and, yeah, it was incredible. Yep. Um, and what are you most looking forward to in 2022? I'm really looking forward to just getting back to some international triathlons, uh, like the World Triathlon Championship Series uh, is what it's called. The Yeah, like our World Series racing. I It's been two very long years. Mm-hmm. Um, and whilst I love to train, don't get me wrong, I'm like a natural racer. So I think I underestimate just how much I've missed um, getting to put the training to use and getting out there and racing. So I'm so excited just to get back racing and, and, and back traveling, you know, um, in two years, I went to, in two years, I went to Tokyo and don't get me wrong. It was pretty incredible, but it was a very quick trip, um, followed by a, a long, um, two weeks quarantine and then a long break. So I'm really looking forward just to getting back to a bit more of that normality that we're lucky enough to, to live with the sport that we do. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm yeah most looking forward to about 2022. Yep. An interesting case study to measure your vitamin D over the last two years, and then this year <laughs> going to, to Europe and then spending a bit more the time end- in the <laughs> endless summer. Yeah. Uh, and uh, final question: What's something people do not know about Emma Jeffcoat apart from? <laughs> what we've already spoken about is the Biscoff. What's, um, yeah. yeah, what's something they don't know about you? You've, you've got Steph hooked on Biscoff too, by the way. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, she yep. tried it after their first episode and she hasn't stopped since. Yeah. I seriously need a cut in their shares because the amount of people I've, like, raved to it about and that now are obsessed. You know, I've got my housemates and a lot of my squad onto it um, and a lot of friends that – they curse me because they're not not so much athletes and um, curse me for for their consumption of biscoff. So, yeah. anyway, um, still a big fan. So, and it was in my suitcase over to Tokyo. And quick story, I had to laugh because the suitcases we got given were see through at the top of the crumpler bags, and mm. I had like biscoff and crumpets in the top where it was see through. And so there everyone is lining up to go to the Olympics. And my mum's like, well, yeah, when I was, like, being seen off at the airport, my mum's like, my, of course my daughter has Biscoff and Crumpets at the top of her bag. <laughs> uh, anyway, it could have been much worse. But, um, uh, well, I'm sure most people, like, a lot of people probably do, like, know this um, about me that, you know, I don't know, follow social media. But I... Yeah, something that is very close to me that some people wouldn't have no idea about is I am a very much a big horse lover. So I grew up riding horses um, and I have a beautiful 32, turning 33-year-old horse called Cherokee. So I've had her for as long as I can remember. Um, and, yeah, she is like a big dog. So that's one of the best things about going home for me and, unfortunately, um one of the downsides to the life of being a professional triathlete in that, you know, I'm living in Melbourne and racing all over the set, the globe. So as she gets older, I spend less and less time with her, but yeah, that's something that people don't know about me. And yeah, that I, um, 
yeah, she's like my kid. I've had her for as long as I can remember. And I, yeah, got her when I came out of hospital when I was sick as a kid. Uh, and yeah, I've had her ever since. So yeah, fun fact. You get to do mm. FaceTimes? <laughs> I wish. She doesn't answer, so we'll have to work with that. <laughs> I do FaceTimes with Cooper all the time, so you can do FaceTimes with Cherokee. Yeah, I'll have to get my mum onto that. So good tip. Thank yep. you. You're welcome. <laughs> awesome. awesome. All right. Well, great to chat to you again, Emma. Thanks for giving us a bit of insight into, I guess, the, the mindset and, and how you sort of approach the the question of, you know, would I benefit from supplements and, and how you sort of go about answering that question. Um, and good luck for the rest of the year and hopefully we'll see you at the Com Games later on in Birmingham. My pleasure. Thanks so much, guys. Awesome. Thank you. That was great. Thank you very much, Emma Jeffcoat. And um, I'm going to leave it to the summarizer. All right. I'll summarize then. <laughs> um, so our question again was, would I benefit from supplements? Uh, and I guess sort of looking at both episodes, the A episode with Greg Shaw and, and now the B episode with, with Emma. Uh, and I guess there's obviously not a, a one-size-fits-all answer to that question. Um, but as Greg sort of um, pointed out, you know, supplements – are really probably around optimizing the intake of nutrients that you may not get enough of, of either because you know you have a particular dietary pattern that doesn't get much of those nutrients or because that nutrient is very difficult to get from our normal food supply without eating massive quantities of it. Uh, but either in either way, we're really trying to you know, optimize that particular nutrient intake as opposed to you know, taking a, a special food, superfood or a pill or potion or something that's just going to magically make us perform better. Uh, and I think Emma kind of emphasized that um, in this episode as well. Uh, and I guess, as Greg said, there are a couple of exceptions where they're probably more, I guess, pharmaceutical-like substances um, that can naturally exist within food um, or are taken in kind of as a supplement rather than a medication per se. So things like caffeine. Um, sodium bicarbonate, which Emma talked about tonight, uh, and cannabidiol, which we've spoken with um, Daniel McCartney about in a previous episode of the podcast as well. Uh, and I guess from from Emma's point of view, you know, as, particularly as an elite athlete and someone who's drug tested frequently, she talked about you know the need to consider the inadvertent doping risk um, with supplements from you know contamination or, or potentially containing a, a banned substance as a known ingredient. You know that does happen in some products as well, and. Um, you know, as we said last week, we'll we'll do another separate episode just around you know what that risk is and, and how to minimise your risk. Um, but obviously, that's a, a really important one for elite athletes. Um, Emma talked about obviously the fact that you know early on in her career she didn't have a lot of education around supplements and and kind of had to learn that the hard way, albeit through a medication, um, but quickly put the focus on to you know the doping risk sort of side of things you know very on in, early on in her career um, but also that as she became more educated about what supplements are what they do how they work um, you know her mindset shifted and, and felt you know, as time went on she was less likely to feel the need to take a supplement just you know for the sake of it um, and that wasn't something that was a, a real mindset issue for her necessarily but you know as Greg alluded to it, it can be for some athletes in particular um, sort of junior athletes that, that look up to more experienced or, or higher level athletes and and think uh, because they are endorsing a particular product or they see them take a supplement or they just make assumptions that all elite athletes take supplements because they wouldn't be elite athletes if they didn't take supplements. Um, that can kind of create that mindset maybe at that more sort of 
recreational or, or junior level of the sport. Um, and as Emma said, you know, really making sure you don't just jump in and take a supplement because you think you should or because someone told you to. Um, actually doing a bit of background work yourself, uh, whether that's with a, a GP or a dietitian, depending on what the supplement is and, and what it's for, uh, to work out if there is actually a genuine need for that supplement, you know, that nutrient does actually need optimizing in terms of its intake, um, either because there's a potential deficiency uh, or because it's a nutrient that's particularly important for that sport and you just through dietary means aren't going to get it for, for one reason or another, um, rather than just taking a supplement, quote unquote, just in case. Although, as Greg said, I mean, at the end of the day, um, you can do that. I just, you just got to identify, you know, is it worth it um, in terms of cost, inconvenience, uh, potentially doping risk if, if that's relevant to you. Um, and so, yeah, that's, I guess, that process of how you would go about answering that question, you know, would I benefit from supplements is to take all of those things into consideration and ultimately making a decision that you're comfortable with. Mm, yeah, yeah, well said. And I think um, also when Emma was talking about um, looking on the internet for some help in the area of supplements, perhaps going to the AIS um, sports supplement framework is yep. is a good start. Yep. Um, and I think also, right, Sports Integrity Australia, I'm pretty sure there's still information that general public can also access. Yeah, um, I think anyone can get the app actually. Yeah. I'm not sure if there's a different level of access that that funded athletes get, uh, but yep. certainly I think the general public can download the Sports yeah. Integrity Australia app and um, access yeah. at least the basic level of information there and, yeah. um, you know, check both medications and supplements, whether they're, uh, you know, a high risk from a from an anti-doping perspective. Yeah, yep, yep. yep. And then I'd just encourage that, um, yeah, if anyone is considering to, to take the supplement, like you said, ask the questions and that we've covered that, both Greg and Emma have covered fantastically. Um, and then perhaps um, it might be worth then, depending on um, what you're looking at, then following up with a, a qualified professional just to make sure um, that health and um, and any doping risk, if that is relevant, um, is um, looked after, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and not even just making sure that, you know, is this supplement, you know, a, a supplement that's likely to be helpful for me um, but then it's not only that, it's working out, okay, well, what dose of that supplement is the right dose? Exactly. Does the timing of that matter? Does it matter whether I take it before, during, after exercise? Does it matter if I take it in the morning or the evening? Because that's going to be different for every single supplement. So um, if you find you, you can't answer those questions, then, yeah, seek professional help because then you'll have someone who is, is paid to find that out for you. Yeah. And am I actually going to take it? Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, all right. So awesome summary as always. Um, next episode, yeah. Yeah. So on to episode 35A next week. So a new topic uh, and a topic this time is one I guess we kind of alluded to a little bit with Emma there was how should I plan my nutrition while traveling for races? Um, now, this could obviously be different things for different people depending on you know what level of sport mm. you compete in whether it's you know domestic travel international travel um, something like that but we're going to be joined by Jess Rothwell whose name has come up several times on the podcast actually mm. before with various athletes that have worked with Jess uh, she's a former elite level race walker herself uh, but she currently works with the Victorian Institute of Sport 
with the athletics program there, amongst others, uh, and is also the National High Performance Nutrition Lead for Athletics Australia. So in that role, she uh, often does travel with teams to major events, things like World Championships, uh, and also over to the Olympic Games, uh, and works with the athletes. And we've heard a few of them, you know, Ellie Pashley and Sinead Diver, talk about the work that they've done with Jess um, mm. around some of the work in the lead up to those various events. So uh, Jess got a lot of experience, I guess, traveling with teams internationally at that elite mm. level, um, but also, you know, herself as a, a race walker would have done, you know, travel with all different levels of competition as she's come up from juniors all the way through to that kind of elite level. And so she can talk about some of the practicalities no matter what that situation is. Yep. Yeah, awesome. Um, stoked to have her join us. Um, and then just finally, again, uh, any questions or feedback that anyone has, um, please shout out to us at the Long Munch on all of your um, popular social media outlets, I guess, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and you're very welcome to listen to us on all your popular um, podcast platforms and we would love you to subscribe um, and share the word. Yep, Absolutely. All right, well, I think we're done for today, Steph. We are done. We will leave everyone in peace until next time. Yep, see you then. See you then. <laughs>